been percolating some thoughts the last few months, actually the last couple of years, around the idea of how, how could it happen that the Jesus of Nazareth that we just sang about, this amazing, gifted, divine Son of God, spoke these magnificent words, said, follow me, and he came and brought healing and grace, um, just amazing things. How could, how could we get from there to these sort of amazing entanglements that the Christian church has had developed over the last 2,000 years? How did that happen? And then when Jan and I were, after we retired here, and we went for 16 months to Clearwater, Heritage Methodist, United Methodist Church, and then we were asked to take a year at Pasadena Community Church. I don't know if any of you know about that church in St. Petersburg. Oh, you do. Uh, a tremendous church. Uh, maybe the, one of the best preachers in all of America during the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, J. Wallace Hamilton, actually from Canada. He, uh, there's a famous story. He worked on his sermons, worked on his sermons. The bishop came to see him sometime and his bishop was waiting and waiting in his house, waiting in his house. He said to Florence finally, when can I see Jay Wallace? She said, I think when he's finished with his sermon, you can see him. <laughs> he just was powerful. In fact, back in the day, uh, from October till through April, uh, so many northerners were down in that part of the world. Uh, they had a drive-in church, uh, thousands of people. They finally built a uh, sanctuary that seated about 1,700 and you had to have a ticket to get in because they didn't want the Northerners to supplant the regular members. Some people still had their ticket that they had. Anyway, great sermons, amazing guy, nine books of sermons that I have in my library. They had a bunch of, um, a lot of his sermons printed that went for a scholarship fund for students. So right before I left, I stole every one of them and I could get my hands. <laughs> now, I, I just gathered up some. They had gobs of them. And reading through them occasionally, came across this one that struck it for me. October 31st, 1954. It was called Disentangling Christ. And I thought, that's it. That's what I've been looking. He took it a little bit different, but some of the same issues back in the 50s are same here uh, today. It was just clarifying. So my title is similar. It's Untangling Christ from Christianity. And some of you remember back when we retired in 2016, uh, I think, Bob, the statue wasn't quite ready out front. And you all, several of you put together a nice gift for us. And so they had this available when we retired. And it's in Jan and my home now. Can you see it back there? It's a statue of Jesus and uh, the fisher of men, fishers of men and women. And so I'll I want to begin, though, with a couple of funny stories. I got two today because you're so good at laughing at these things, okay? How's that for a prep? Uh, and uh, there's sort of a rudimentary way of showing the entanglement that comes. And this one is familiar to you, but it's still funny. It's about Mildred, the church gossip, self-appointed monitor of all the church's morals, kept sticking her nose in other people's business, several members. Nobody liked it, but everybody was too afraid to say anything, so they kept silent. But she made a mistake, however, when she accused George, who was a brand new member, of being an alcoholic after she saw his pickup truck parked in front of the town's only bar one afternoon. She came at George in front of a lot of people. 
And she said that everyone hearing it said, she said, uh, told George, that everyone seeing your pickup truck there would know exactly what you're doing there. George didn't say anything. He looked at her, got silent, walked, turned around, walked off. Didn't defend, didn't deny, said nothing. Later that evening, George quietly parked his pickup truck in front of Mildred's house <laughs> and walked home and left it there all night. I miss you guys. You're so good. And so the deal is what Mildred was doing, and I don't mean to pick on Mildred, but she represents a whole segment of the church that can't help but their self-righteousness. And so that's the first entanglement. I mean, uh, she's the moral conscience, the shoulds, the oughts. How many of us grew up with all that and did it? And none of that's in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, is it? It's just not there. But somehow, we've just gotten to this place. So, then the second one is a story you've heard before probably, but um, this Texan, one Sunday morning, an old cowboy entered a church just before church services were to begin. He had all old clothes. They were all clean, but there was an old shirt and old jeans, cowboy boots and his hat in his hand. And when he came into this upscale church in Texas, he sat down and people moved away from him. Nobody greeted him. People looked at him with askance. As he was leaving the church, the pastor approached him and asked the cowboy, hey, would you do me a favor? Before you come back here again, have a talk with God and ask God what God thinks would be appropriate attire for worship in the church. The cowboy assured the preacher he'd do that. Next Sunday, he showed back up at the service. Same outfit. Amen. Amen. <laughs> same outfit, same clothes, same reaction. People moved away from him, etc. The preacher went up to the cowboy and said, Hey, I thought I asked you to speak to God before you came back to our church. I did, he replied. If you spoke to God, what did he tell you about the proper attire should be for worshiping here? Well, sir, the cowboy said, God told me that he didn't have a clue what I should wear. He said, I'd never been in that church. <laughs> and now for the benediction. Uh, so there's another, I don't know what you call that entanglement, probably being in the right church, knowing who you know, um, being proud of your status. Is any of that in who Jesus is? I don't think so. But it's an entanglement. It's, 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 it's not healthy, it's not good. Uh, so Mildred, the moral monitor, not who Jesus is. Nothing in her stories about what Jesus was about. The Irish U2 singer Bono said this, religion is what happens when the spirit has left the building. So our scripture lesson this morning is uh, from Matthew. It's just the beginning part of Jesus' ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. This is what it's about. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, that good news that God's presence is now available to everybody, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news about him spread all over that part of the world called Syria, and people brought to him 
all who are ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Now, if you know anything about the world at that time, if you had any of those diseases, it was assumed that you were out of favor with God. That's how they thought back then. You were, you were less than. You must have done, remember Job? You must have done something wrong. You wouldn't be sick. And so you were marginalized. And here's Jesus, the first people he goes to is to welcome them, to bring them in. That's, that's who he was about. And then you follow that verse, those verses, with the Sermon on the Mount, the sort of essence, the quintessential teaching of who Jesus is about, what he wants us to know. And so Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if you read through that, I wish you'd do it when you get home. 40 action verbs, 40 action verbs, shine, go, give, pray, follow. Anybody who does these things that I'm saying is like somebody who builds their house on a rock. Listen, friends, there's not one word in there about believing certain things or believing certain way or any doctrine or any dogma. It's follow me. Here's the plan. Here's what I want you to be about. Jump ahead 300 years to 325 when the Nicene Creed was created or another 100 years when the Apostles' Creed was created. The only thing you see or believe, believe, believe a set of doctrines. Nothing about action. None of what Jesus was talking about. Now, I get it. I mean, I've studied theology all my life, almost. And there's a purpose for that. There's a reason for getting clarity about some things. But what's happened is the balance of scales is way shifted away from who Jesus was and what he was teaching and how to live and behave to what you ought to believe. And it's become a tool to divide and power, overpower people and control people uh, who to excommunicate, who to burn at the stake, who to try for heresy. It's a tangled mess if we're not careful. Even good people trying to follow and make sense of things just like you and I, if we're not careful because we're fallible people, that's what's going to happen. As Jesus walked the paths of Galilee, he offered people a new way of life. He didn't set up a set of doctrines to believe, not one, two, three points of doctrine. He said, follow me. Love your neighbor. Do this. Do this. Kathleen Norris, is a, she, she wrote a book Craig and Andrea called Dakota. She lived in Dakota. She went to the cloister up there. Uh, fascinating about that beautiful part of the world where you love so much. And a recent, more recent book is called Amazing Grace. And she talks about the language of the scriptures. She was, grew up in the church and like so many, she opted out of the church for about 15 years. She found her way back and found it comforting to be back in church in the Christian fellowship and she was, speaks a lot as she was speaking one time and one person raised their hand and this is what the person said, I don't mean to be offensive, but I just don't understand how you can get so much comfort from a religion whose language does so much harm. I don't know how you can get so much comfort from a religion whose language does so much harm. You ask many young people today, not just young people, and they will tell you, I don't 
I can't abide by it. It's just, this is harmful. That's harmful. What's being said? And it's a thousand miles from who Jesus was when he strode along the shore of Galilee. It's not the language Jesus used. It was, his was welcoming. His was kindness. It's not true. It's not just Christianity. It's any good idea that starts out small and pretty soon something else is taken over, like powerful. Like that's what happens with a good idea. Somebody in the last service, uh, I said, what do you do? They said, I'm at UF. I'm in artificial intelligence. That sounded like a good idea at the time, didn't it? It's scaring everybody to death now. Same with Mother's Day. As wonderful as this is. Ann Jarvis years ago, said we ought to have a day dedicated for mothers. Send her a note. Go visit. Take flowers. Seven years later, she was appalled at how it's been so amazingly commercialized. She did everything in her power to undo what she started because it started as a good idea and then it got entangled. This year, I just read yesterday, this year, Americans will spend close to $36 billion on Mother's Day stuff. Wow. That's all good. But something happened to Christianity somewhere, somehow, the original idea, the ways of Jesus got lost, got all tangled up. Then there's the entanglement of divisions. Divisiveness. There's the Roman Catholic Church. There's the Eastern Orthodox Church. They couldn't live together. They split. And then there's the Russian Orthodox Church. There's the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. There's the Ethiopian Church. There's, that's not to say anything about Protestants. And then Protestants exploded with now a gazillion number of Protestants. And the division, people outside the church think, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> How did that happen? Most, here's the deal. Most divisions are over very tiny things tiny verses, tiny interpretations, secondary, tertiary, irrelevant. The current split in the United Methodist Church, in my view, other people's view, is over two isolated verses, one in Romans, one in 1 Corinthians, about human sexuality and orientation. We've lost the whole gamut of what Jesus was talking about <laughs> in Matthew, and Mark, and Luke, and John. David Lloyd George was former Prime Minister of England and before Churchill, before Chamberlain. He was once driving a car in Wales with a friend and he said to the friend, my church is divided with a fierce dispute. One faction says baptism is in the name of the Father. The other says it's into the name of the Father. I belong to one of those factions. I feel very strongly about it. In fact, sir, I would die for it. But for the life of me, I can't remember just now which faction it is I belong to. <laughs> Such silliness. We have whole denominations. There's one denomination that has less than 200 members in the whole denomination. And they can't agree on anything. <laughs> All claiming Christ is the originator of their ideas while smothering Christ and, and his essential message in entanglements that would drive you crazy. Again, it's good people who love the church, love Christianity, love Christ, but we don't realize we get our hands messy in the entanglements just because of who we are. Who we are. 
entanglements. Transubstantiation, do you know what that is about communion? You know it's different than consubstantiation? Do you care? <laughs> Consecration, symbol, it's all around communion and denominations have split over this. I suppose there's some importance to it. I mean, like I say, I gave my life to it, but <sighs> the New Testament, there's nothing in there about infallibility of a leader, ex cathedra, celibacy of clergy. Thank God it's not in there. <laughs> right, honey? Okay. Uh, <laughs> A rigid dogma. Actually, Eastern, Eastern Orthodox clergy are required to be married. Roman Catholics, you can't be married. All kinds. It goes, a lot of this goes back to Constantine, I guess, sort of a good thing when he made Christianity the religion of the empire, but that brought on a host of problems of cathedrals and power and all that came with popes, some who were in Rome, some who were in exile and yeah, Inquisition 30 years war when Protestants and Catholics were killing each other it's true Christians killed more Christians than the Romans ever did in the persecutions Nazis used the name of Christ on their behalf Putin side by side with the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church to help support this atrocity he's doing. The January 6th insurrection, people rushed the Capitol. There were American flags. There was a flag of Jesus saves. There's a flag Jesus 2020. It gave me chills to see this. Cortez came to Mexico. Columbus came to America. I'm glad he did. But he came with a Bible in one hand and a sword in the other. And it got all mixed up and confused. Essentially said, we're going to make you believe whether you like it or not. The most powerful name in all of human history, Jesus Christ, has been used to sponsor almost everything that Christ was against. Slavery, fascism, nationalism, inquisitions there's a phrase that's now Christian white Christian nationalism let me just say that's a double oxymoron <laughs> let me just say because I'm not going to preach again for a while uh, <laughs> let me just say white Christian think about that when you think about the world and all the different colors around the world <laughs> all the different races, all the people from different parts of the world who believe in Jesus, and for the minority of the world, white people to say white Christian, and then to say white Christian nation, nationalism, when you've got 200 countries or more, you go to Israel today, uh, I see Steve and Catherine are taking a trip, you go, you'll see Christians from all around the, all around the world. And the beauty, one of the beauties and the power of Christianity is its universalism, its appeal to all people. So for any nation, this nation or any other nation, to talk about Christian nationalism is a bad idea. Jesus came to preach good news and healing. You can, you can picture it. Jesus, those rolling hills of Galilee, almond trees, fig trees, 
and he sees this couple of guys and a few more and he starts talking and they bring somebody to for healing and then he sits down on that plain at that hillside and says blessed are the poor blessed are the meek blessed are those who mourn and the crowds just throng because this is how did we lose that How did we lose that? And the church's task is to untangle the Christ from Christianity and rediscover under all those layers, under all that web of entanglement, the Galilean whose message of love and grace and kindness, whose ministry of healing is exactly what the world needs. It needs it now more than ever. I don't need to tell you this. It's clear. It's clear as day. America's in a crisis, a mental health crisis. We know about opioids, we know about drug addictions. Depression is huge. The U.S. Surgeon General just wrote an article recently, Vivek Murthy is his name, and the article was about our epidemic of loneliness, disconnectedness, isolation, and its impact on anxiety and depression, heart disease. He says this, at any moment, about one out of every two Americans is experiencing measurable levels of loneliness. Sounds a lot like the world Jesus walked into 2,000 years ago, preaching good news, healing their diseases, welcoming people, calling people to follow him. And they found community and they found connection. They skipped out of their isolation into a deep relationship. Our task, your task, and you do it so well mostly, our task is to untangle. Would you do it? Every way you can and every day you can untangle this because so much is at stake. Because so many people are turning away from that kind of Christianity when they would welcome this kind.